Everybody else, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, and I want to share with you something that Dave Lasseter shared with me just a few minutes ago. If you have your smartphone or Marty, whatever phone you happen to have, uh, and you open and you have the application, My Church application. So if you don't have that, then you, you can download my app. And if you download my app, then you can type in First Baptist Church Coronado. And then when you type in First Baptist Church Coronado, it takes you to a page where you can pick up all the sermon notes like as they're being preached. So here's the outline for today <clears throat> right here. And if you actually want to fill in the blanks on your device, then you can download this to pages. Did I say that right, David? Open it in pages. Yeah, down, download it. Open it in pages. And you'll be able to fill it in as you go. Or if you want to go the old, old school, you can just take the outline out of your bulletin and write on it with something called a pen or a pencil. Okay? One or the other. So, <clears throat> now, <clears throat> the message today, cause and effect. Cause and effect. Uh, we have a lot of people in here. <clears throat> That's the cause. The effect, it got warm. So we had another cause, which is called fans, and so I flipped the switch, and the effect was it kind of cools you a little bit and uh, kind of moves the air around. If someone wants to open these windows over here, I would thank you very much, and because uh, it's getting a little warm in here already, <clears throat> and uh, we'll, we'll just, uh, that's cause and effects. Now, one of the seven arguments for the existence of God is called the cosmological argument, the cosmological argument. There are seven different uh, theological proofs for the existence of God. Now, you would think it would be C-A-U-S-E-mo-logical, but it's not. It's C-O-S-M-O, cosmological, <clears throat> and it's the argument from cause. When we see something, we wonder what's its cause. How did it come to be that way? For example, human beings exist. How did we get here? Uh, we have two specific worldviews that are kind of, well, probably more than that, many more than that, two commonly accepted, one by creationism, or another by evolution. There might be some who believe where aliens come from some other dimension, and in time, do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do, to play the twilight, uh, I don't know. Uh, but there is an effect. Uh, are we self-originating? You know what? Nothing is self-originating. It is so terribly unscientific to say that everything came to being out of nothing unless you believe there was a, a specific primal origin who was God who has always existed, never has not existed. There was no such thing with as time with God, and he then set all of the physical creation into being. So, you know, we go back as a creationist to an almighty God who's able to do whatever he wants to whenever he wants to. The evolutionist goes back to some big bang theory or some other similar theory that has to start with something that came from they don't know where either. So it's really no different. It's a, it's, it's, you believe one by faith, you believe the other by faith. Uh, cause and effect. So why are we here? Uh, the effect is we're here. <clears throat> How do we come about? How, why do we exist? There must be a higher cause. There must be a purpose. There must be a reason. The same is true for our massive universes. And uh, the cause is always, by the way, the cause is always greater than the effect. I have a wristwatch on. That's an effect. There's a cause for this wristwatch. It did not spontaneously combust at some point in time. Nobody put a bunch of pieces of stuff in a box, shook it all up, and out popped a watch. That's not 
how it works. There's a higher cause. With that higher cause, there's a, there's a creator, designer, uh, an artisan who, who is able to create and fashion and form and carve gears and, and, or make electric circuits and, uh, and cause a battery to, to fire up in such a way to work with whatever the uh, electronics are in there that it makes it work if it's an electronic watch or a mechanical watch with the gears and so on. So the cause is always greater than the effect. So the, the title, I told Pat, this is really weird. The title and the introduction... Uh, all had to do with setting up what I want the real, the real text or launching point to be. And, and that's from Amos chapter 3. And I know you're in Ephesians 4, but stay where you are for just a minute. In, Ephesians, in Amos 3, rather, there, there, are, uh, there are seven questions. The first five have the same answer, which is no. It's an implied answer. No, 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 no. The last two are yes. They're all cause and effect questions. Here's what Amos 3.3 3 says in King James. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Can two walk together except they be agreed? Well, that gives you a certain amount of understanding of that. The NLT says it this way. Can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? So if you said, first of all, well, can two walk together except they be agreed? You say, well, you know, that's obvious. Well, wait a minute. What if they decide, what if we meet out here and, and Pat and I say, we're going we're gonna to walk. And so she goes that way and I go that way. We're not walking together. So that you have to, there has to be an agreement on the direction. Now, the ESV says, do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? So if we decided to walk together and decided to go in the same direction, but didn't set a time when we were going to make that walk, she might show up, you know, Monday morning at 9. I might show up Wednesday at 3, and we wouldn't be able to walk together. Then the message says it this way, do two people walk hand in hand if they aren't going to the same place? So if... You know, if, if you're going one direction and your girlfriend, wife, whoever else is going the other direction, uh, you can't walk hand in hand. So, so I give you all that as a preface to the walk that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. And this chapter, chapter 4 of Ephesians 4, starts the second half of Ephesians. It's, kind of, it's two distinct halves, and this is the second half, and it has to do with the Christian's walk. Now, it is a walk because it starts with a single step of faith. You had to step out by faith to receive Christ as your personal Savior. It involves progress. A walk involves progress. It takes strength and energy to do the walk. We cannot walk. Uh, if we cannot walk, we don't have the strength and energy to walk, then we never will learn to run. We never will in- learn to engage the enemy in battle. So I put all this together and say, we as Christians, especially as members of the church, agree to meet together, to walk together in the same direction, figuratively or literally, hand in hand. That's First Baptist Church. That's First Baptist Church. Agree to meet together, to walk together in the same direction, figuratively or literally, hand in hand. So in verses 1 through 6 of Ephesians chapter 4, we begin the study. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God, Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. So here's our walk in unity. 
To fill in the blank, unity. Walk in unity. Paul urged the Ephesians to walk worthy of their calling or their vocation. And folks, we do have as Christians a high calling. We have a calling to salvation. It's the Holy Spirit of God that speaks to our heart, that brings conviction to our heart, that makes us unhappy with where we are and what we are apart from Christ, brings us to a point of where we need to turn our life over to God, to someone much more brilliant, much more able, much more powerful than are we. And so that salvation is a call. God calls you, and God, he says, whosoever calls upon them, Lord, shall be saved. He calls you so that you will call upon him. So my question to you, Are you saved? Have you availed yourself of this great salvation, this great vocation, this great high calling of salvation, being freed from the wages of sin, being washed from the dirt and filth of sin? Then there's the call of sanctification. Are you progressing? What is your next step? How are you closer to the Lord today than you were last week, last month, last year? Is there a movement toward Christ in your life, or are you stagnant? Or, by the way, you can't just stay, you can't stay at the same place. You either, you either go forward or you drift. And drifting, you're just going downstream. Huh? So you're either going forward, making progress, or you're just drifting, and that's not a good thing. Now, then there's the calling to service. My question to you, be, to you would be, where are you serving? What do you do for God? What do you do through the body of Jesus Christ? And there's a calling to resurrection, which is future. Uh, it's coming up one of these days. My mom and my dad... Uh, passed away in 2010, and they were buried. Their bodies were buried. They went to be with the Lord. But one of these days, upon the authority of the Word of God, they're going to rise again, and they'll be reunited with their spirits, their, who they really are, the real person, with those glorified bodies, and we'll be with the Lord together forever and ever. So there's the call to resurrection. There's the call to future rule. We will rule and reign with Jesus Christ. That's in the future. There's calling to one body. That's both present and future the local body of Christ here, and the future uh, assembly of God, church of God that will come together one day. And then finally, the calling to witness to the heavenlies. In Ephesians 3.10, it says, God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in in rich variety to all unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Jesus Christ our Lord. So with his callings, it's not only a great privilege, but it's a great responsibility. Great privilege, great responsibility. When I responded to the call of God to preach the gospel, 1966, January the 9th, Moni, Illinois, a little place called Moni, Illinois, little old church, about 35 people, meeting in an old, it used to be a, it was a bar, and then it got saved and became a church. And uh, so we used to, so we go in there and clean it all out and set up chairs and and have chair. When I went forward uh, and surrendering to the call to ministry, um, I, I laid down some things forever. I feel like in a, in a little miniature way, I kind of burned my ships like Cortez did when he landed. I feel like in a way I, I took the oxen that Elisha had and, and offered them up as sacrifice, took the, the plows and, and used that as the fuel to burn up the sacrifice. I gave it to God. I, I drew a line. Did I become perfect at that point? Not even close. But I drew a line in my life, and I just said, there's some things I'm not going to keep on doing. There's some things I'm not going to say. There's some places I'm not going to go because I'm making a decision. I am, I'm yielding to a call of God in my life. We are the elect according to God. 
We are the predestined according to the word of God. We are the adopted according to the word of God. By the way, if you're adopted, your parents chose you. If you were born at home, they got stuck with you, okay? And that's just the way it is. I got, my parents got stuck with me. If you're adopted, you got, and God adopted us into his family, knowing all of our warts and wrinkles and problems, and, and he loved us anyhow, and he adopted us into his family because he loves us that much. So Ephesians 1, 4, it said, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be what? Holy and without fault in his eyes. This Christianity is not a casual, haphazard thing. It's not something we do one day a week. It's something we're supposed to do seven days a week. Marine Corps, United States Navy, whether you, I don't care what you do. I don't care what business you're in. I don't care what professional you are. I don't care if you're a student. You are to be a full-time, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 52 weeks a year, 366 days in 2016 because this leap year, Full-time Christian. When someone asks you, what do you do? You say, I'm, I'm, I live for God. <laughs> I'm a, I live for God. I'm a full-time Christian. And you may do other things in addition, but we're to be full-time. I, I just say we shouldn't treat it so casually. It's not just, yeah, be, yeah we're going to go to church today. Let's, you know, we'll be holy for an hour. We'll try. And then, and then you know, through the week, it's, uh, uh, you know, just all the things the world's doing. There ought to be a difference. So he goes ahead and he says, so be humble because of this calling, because of the fact you're predestinated, because of the fact that, that you have this holy vocation and calling, then be humble, be lowly, not arrogant and proud, be gentle, meek, strength under control, strength under control. Meekness is not weakness, it's strength under control. You could do something about stuff, but you don't do something about stuff because you are under control. Be long-suffering or patient, allowing others to make mistakes. Because you've made plenty. So have I. We all do. These qualities are results of the fruits of the Spirit. And in another place in Galatians chapter 5, Paul says the, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, no law against those things. Those are things that he brings to our lives. So some of you who were hot-tempered can be very patient. Some of you who, who were immoral in your thought life can be pure. Some of you uh, who were, uh, were casual and indifferent about the things of God can become very passionate about the things of God because the Holy Spirit begins to work in our lives. And it says, then bearing together with one another's weaknesses and failures because of your love. My bride, my wife, 46 and a half years, a little bit more than that now, almost coming up on 47 years. My love, she puts up with so many weird things about me because she loves me. And I appreciate that. If she pointed out all my faults, holy cow. She doesn't have any, but I have a ton of them. That work? Okay, that works. Okay, good. Good thing to say. Okay, yes, Roger. Yeah, because I have done the other way, and that illustration don't work as well when you flip it around. You know that, though. Yes. Okay, bearing together with one another's weaknesses and failures, because hey, we're all clay. We're all clay. We're all made of clay. We all have flaws. We all have failures. We all mess up. We every single one of us. There's no one perfect here. You're looking for the perfect church? Don't join it. You'll mess it up. 
So without these graces, unity would never be possible. Without being patient and long-suffering and bearing with one another and encouraging and helping and lifting up, the whole goal is, is oneness in Christ, a oneness in Christ, one body, Jews, Gentiles, Holy cow, they didn't have anything to do with each other. God says now, guess what? In this economy, in this time, one body, Jews, Gentiles, Christ the head, the local New Testament church, all of us members of that body, one spirit, the Holy Spirit, one hope, the return of Christ, one Lord, Jesus, one faith, Christian, one baptism. And I believe it's water baptism because there's a triad here. You have water because of the one Lord, the one faith, and water baptism, that's part of it right there. This doesn't wash away our sins. Christ's blood washed away our sins. But this is part of, this is that one baptism. It's so important. It's included in these one things listed in, together here. And then it concludes with one God and Father. And three of these decorations of the oneness here have to do with the persons of the Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The other four with our relationship with the, to the Trinity. The first six verses can be summarized this way. The church is spiritually one in unity. And that's how we can walk together in the same direction, meet, walk together, hand in hand, in the same direction, for the same person, for the glory of God. Let me ask you this. If we have unity here, does unity mean uniformity? Look around. We're all different. There are no two people alike in this room. Sometimes fathers and sons look alike or, or whatever, but they're not the same person. They're different people. So unity doesn't mean uniformity. We don't all look alike. We don't all act alike. We don't all do things the identically same way. We don't all think the same way. We're not cogs in a wheel, absolutely identical to the cog before us and the cog after us. We're different and have different abilities and gifts. And just as a human body is one, but has many separate members. My thumb looks nothing like my gizzard. Now, we don't have gizzards. I just want to check on the crowd here. My thumb looks nothing like my liver. But they're members of the same body. So, so the whole goal, the whole idea here is we walk in unity. Second point is this. We serve with diversity. Verses 7 through 11. Paul says, however, he's given each one of us a special gift or a grace through the generosity of Christ. Hey, when God saves us, he, he, he gives us a gift, some kind of gift, maybe more than one gift. But God gave, you say, not me, preacher, man, I got left out. I mean, it's like, you know, Christmas, everybody got a gift except me. I didn't get anything. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. Part of our purpose here is to help you figure out what that is. Every one of us has a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That's why the scriptures say when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to the people. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world, Paul says. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now, these are the gifts that Christ gave the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Now, the gift, first of all, the charisma, the gift that God gives is a gift. It is not something that we have done because we're so smart or we're so uh, able or we're so talented. The gift that God gives is from him. 
Again, no reason to be arrogant and proud. Look at me. I can sing. Look at me. I can preach. Look at me. I'm able to organize. Look at me. I'm able to run sound. Look at me. I I mean, you know, the gift that God gives to us came from him. Secondly, ours is one gift among many. Ours is not the only gift there is. Thirdly, we're to use it for his glory, not our own. Have you ever like Pat and I have, listened to the biography of very famous, particularly singers, who say this, we started out singing in church. Does anybody else notice that? We started out singing in church. God gave the gift of music and song, and in some cases, we started out there, but we're not there anymore. We're doing our own thing now. That's not the reason God gave you whatever gift he gave you. Now, Paul says another way in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7. You don't have to turn there. It says, now there are diversities of gifts, different gifts, but the same spirit, at different services, but the same Lord. There are differences, ways of working, but it's the same God who works in us all. And he adds this, but to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. God gave you a gift. If you're a child of God, if you've been saved, if you've been adopted into his family, if you've been, you were elect, you were predestined, if you came to Christ, then he has given you some ability to use in your time here at First Baptist Church. And the significance of this is no one should think of themselves as being overly important because of their gift. When I was, uh, when I was serving here as an interim pastor, I told one of my preacher friends, I said, I'm, I'm the interim pastor at First Baptist Church. And he said, you know what? We're all interims. And I got thinking about that. That's exactly right. We're all just temporary. God is permanent. God is full-time. God is forever. We're all just temporary. So no one should think of themselves as being overly important. You know what? One of these days, I'll be gone. One of these days, you'll be gone, and someone else will be in our place. No one should feel worthless because of theirs. That's the other side. We shouldn't get all proud and lifted up and look at us, nor should we feel uh, worthless and no good because whatever gift God gave you, he wants to use you in his body, in his church, and you're special in that regard. We have these gifts we have from Christ. Now, he talks about ascending and descending, a lot of interpretations here, but he's referencing Psalm 68, 18, which says exactly, when you ascended up to the heights, you led a crowd of captives, you received gifts from the people, even from those who rebelled against you. Now the Lord God will live among us there. Jesus ascended with the spoils of war. Jesus ascended with the souls he won, that he led captivity free, and he led them away from hell and into heaven. He had previously descended from heaven to accomplish his work of redemption, and he returned with victory and with the spoils of war that he intends to give away. Then he says, Jesus gave apostles to the church. There were 12 of them originally, plus Paul. If you want to say 12 plus Paul, one of them was not, didn't work out very well, Judas Iscariot. There were the prophets in a restricted sense, the foundation of the church. There were the evangelists, people who were traveling missionaries like Philip and Stephen and Timothy and Titus and others. There were the pastors and teachers, which is one group, pastors slash teachers or pastors hyphen teachers, ministers of local congregations, teaching elders or overseers, expounding the word. These were the men who shepherded the flock. And this is not an exhaustive list of things that of offices in the church. 
because in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, there's some different ones. And, uh, uh, but, but, but what is said here is that God gave leaders in the church. God gave people to lead the church. And by the way, how, how do you know if you're a leader? If you're a leader and no one's following you, you're just taking a walk. So if you're a leader, there'll be people following. Now, the followers are in verse 12. It says the responsibility is to equip God's people to do the work and build up the church, the body of Christ. So we have this goal of unity and ministry. We have this idea of diversity and gifts. And the third and last point is this, to fulfill the same purpose. This unity with a variety of people in giftedness to accomplish the self-same purpose in verses 12 through 16. And here it is. The responsibility, Paul says, is to, first of all, equip God's people. Secondly, to do his work. Thirdly, to build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such a unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will be no more immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like truth. Holy cow, that sounds like a political debate. Let me read that again. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body. Like I told the kids, he is the head of the body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together like puzzle pieces perfectly as each part does its own special work. And when pieces of the puzzle are missing, things go undone. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. If I did have, and I used to have an appendix, and it's gone. It's no longer part of my body. I'm still functioning not the same way as I would have perhaps if I'd had my appendix, although I'm not sure what it did. My tonsils are so also gone, and uh, I know they were supposed to filter out you know, bacteria and different things, and, and I no longer have those, so that's maybe a compromise a little bit in my lymphatic system. I'm not sure. And um, as far as I know, I have everything else, I think, except some of the hair I used to have. Uh, but anyway, uh, everybody, but you know what? If they took out my heart, things would be different. If they took out my lungs, things would be different. Young lady who had the the clots in her lungs and her heart, they got them all out. She went home to Colorado after two weeks. She's doing great. Praise the Lord. Thank you for her prayers, for prayers on her behalf. The young man was having difficulties and all kinds of complications. He went home. I, there's a whole list of prayers that have been answered in the last, uh, you know, we've been, this is day 20, I think, of our, 20, of our 40 days of prayer, I believe, if, it's, if I'm right, day 20. And maybe, you know what would be encouragement? is If you'd write down some answers to prayers that you have, you don't even have to sign it. Turn them in so we kind of keep, you know, that's, it's encouraging to me to see that. But anyhow, so we have a threefold purpose, folks, to equip the saints, to do the ministry, to build up the church. This is not just the work of the apostle or just the work of the prophet or just the work of the evangelist or just the work of the pastor teacher. It is the work of everybody here because you're all part of the ministry if you're a member of First Baptist Church. We believe in the universal priesthood of believers. You know what that means? That means I am no more able to approach God than you are. You know why? Because Jesus Christ is our mediator. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, and on that basis, you have every right and access to God's throne as I do, every bit as much. 
But we're all part of the priesthood in that we all minister, every member a minister. And it says here, until we all come to the place of maturity. There's no place for drones in First Baptist Church. Now, I'm not talking about the kind that fly around. I'm talking about drone bees, just kind of buzz. And, you know, we all need to be worker bees in God's house. Paul said in 2 Thessalonians, yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work and meddling in other people's business. Well, quit being lazy and quit being gossipy and meddling in other people's business. And no, nobody told me that you did. But if you got convicted about that, stop it. Quit doing it. Be mature in the Lord. Full-grown men, not children, implies robust and vital young men. Like some of you guys go down here to the you know, obstacle course. And, oh, there's nothing, man. I go through that thing like crazy. Be full-grown, vital men, robust. Not just a human being who just lies there in a blob, but, but be on fire for doing what needs to be done so that we're not tossed and blown about by waves and winds of destructive new teachings that come along all the time. By the way, if it's new, it's probably heresy because there's nothing new under the sun, right? One of my commentaries, Bob, I'm, I'm, this is the truth. There's a misspelling. In one of the, you know, you catch those every so often. In, in ex- Exposition of, e- of Ephesians, it says here that we may no longer be tossed to and fro by the wives <laughs> instead of waves. Ladies, yeah, yeah, lighten up a little bit, okay? <laughs> and whirled around by every gust of doctrine. Now, waves can destroy. Last Sunday, people have been going down to this Monte Carlo shipwreck deal. And last Sunday, I think it was, my daughter was there with uh, my grandson. And, and she said there was some older guy, probably her dad's age, some older guy and his wife were there. And, and they were taking pictures. And so he went out on, and, and a wave knocked him over. And, and he was in trouble for a little while. And someone finally... Uh, helped him. The waves are incredibly powerful. We know that. The winds can destroy. Our center awning out here is testimony of that. About a month ago, the center awning is gone because of the, the high winds. Uh, and so uh, the, the, the waves and the winds of life, the tricks and the schemes of men can destroy souls. The Greek word translated trickery here has to do with loaded dice there are people out there who have loaded dice. There are people who, uh, who they, will, they will suck you in. They will reel you in. So are scheming men. And we combat these things with truth spoken with love. And there are two things that can sidetrack us if we're, not, if we're trying to speak the truth in love. Two things can sidetrack us. First of all, obviously a departure from truth. But secondly, an indifference to truth. What's the difference between those two? Can I just tell you this? If you know that Jesus Christ loves you and you know that he died on the cross for your sins and you know that he was buried and rose again, you believe that by faith and you know that, that there is a heaven out there and there's a hell and you're not telling people at work and you're not telling your neighbors and you're not telling your family members, but you know it, what difference does it make whether you're an atheist or a Christian if you're not telling them? See, the practical part of it is if you know the truth and you know all truth, if you knew the whole entire Bible, if you had the whole Bible memorized and you knew it all and you didn't tell anybody, there's no difference in you and an atheist who doesn't believe any of it. So may I challenge you to make a difference in people's lives by letting them know. Speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love with compassion, with a tear in your eye. 
So here's the desired hope for First Baptist Church. Here is, here is a vision statement. Christ, the head of our church, all of us fitting together with our gifts employed, growing each other's, each other and ourselves so that First Baptist Church is healthy and growing and full of love. I want people to walk up here before they ever get in the doors. And you guys are doing this. Before they ever get in the doors, I want them to know it's a place of love. I want them to know it's a place of grace and truth. I want them to feel a warmth there. I want them to be welcome. I don't care who they are. I want them to know we want them here. God wants them here. And every living thing grows. If First Baptist Church is alive, we'll grow. So my plea to you is will you do your part? Or I guess my question should be, are you doing your part? Do you even know what your part is? We got a young man up in the, uh, doing the computer because Nick trained him several weeks ago. And Nick is sick today. We need to pray for Nick. They, it's either bronchitis or pneumonia. It's really, it's really bad again. Nick was going to be baptized today, so we're gonna, we're gonna, we'll baptize him another time. But he trained somebody. Now, somebody's filling in. If Nick were not here, and if Grant were not here, and if Jake were not here, and if George were not here, We'd be in trouble. Part of the body of Christ would be missing. We need teachers. You've got kids here that that would like to be in a junior church. A guy would like for them to be in a junior church. We've got a big bunch of people, uh, of names of people who who are on the teacher list, but some have leaves of absence, understandable. Some are deployed. Some are uh, pregnancy leaves, some different reasons, but we need some more. Can you once a month spend some time with first through sixth graders? Say, preacher, I don't, I'm not a teacher. Well, can you be a master at arms? <laughs> can you be one who would keep them from, you know, tearing each other up? Can, can you be an assistant? Can you be a helper? Would you, be a, would you consider volunteering one weekend a month so that we can have classes, junior church for the kids. Are you doing your part? If you didn't show up next week, would any phase of the ministry here change at all? And if you say, "Mm, I don't think so, that's a problem. What is your ministry? Take out your puzzle piece if you have it. Take out your puzzle piece. I'm going to try to help you figure it out. If you don't know what it is, if you're not doing something right now, if you don't have a puzzle piece, use one of the connection cards, okay? We ran out of puzzle pieces. That's a good thing. I think we ran out. So here's, here's the question. What is a ministry you are passionate about? That's an indicator. I get passionate about some things. Besides ministry, I, I get passionate about preaching. I like to preach. If I, if I had a the choice of either eating a steak dinner or preaching, my choice would be I want to do both. <laughs> but if I had to do one or the other, I'd rather preach than eat. That's my passion. That's what God, that's, 
what God did. That's his vocation, calling my life. What's yours? What is it that you do in ministry? What is it you do at First Baptist Church? What is it that is, it moves you? Working with kids, that you love that. Taking care of babies, you love that. Changing diapers, you endure that. Uh, running sound, running lights, running, I mean, cleaning up, fixing, repairing. What, is, what are you passionate about? That could be an indicator of the gift that God has given to you. Ryan, do you like teenagers? It's a little bit? Sometimes. Okay. All right. He wouldn't be in young life if he couldn't stand teenagers. You wouldn't teach Rachel, ladies, and, and Victoria, and wouldn't be around preschool moms, and, and uh, Jen wouldn't be working with, if you didn't love people and love the Lord and love the word. What are you passionate about? Put your name. Put some way of contacting you, email or phone number, and write down. I want you to write down what you're passionate about. You say, I don't really know what my gift is. Well, write down what you really would like to do. You say, well, preacher, I can't. What I'd like to do is I love media and cameras and things. I'd love to. You know what? Then put that down. So I like to build. What are we going to build? Well, put it down. I like to build. I like to work on cars. Put it down. I'll bring mine over. What are you passionate about? This is going to be a really different invitation this week. And I'll explain it to you in just a minute. Are, are you growing? I mean, that's another question. Are you doing your part? What is your ministry? Are you growing? Or let me ask you this. Are others growing because of you? What is your next step? I talked about being saved, the gift and the calling of salvation. Maybe you've never turned your life over to God. Maybe you've never said, God, here I am. I surrender all. I give all to you. I, I, please take away my sins. Take away my guilt. Take away my shame. Be my God. Be my personal Savior. Maybe that's what you need. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe you need to be baptized, like we're going to have a couple of people here in a moment baptized. Maybe you need to join the church. You've been baptized, been saved, but you need to join a church where you can get in, get involved, be part of the body of Christ. Maybe you need to surrender to some other area of your life. Maybe there's some habit that's been robbing you of your joy. Maybe you're addicted to pornography. Maybe you're looking at stuff online you don't need to be looking at. Maybe, you're, 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 maybe you do gossip. Maybe you, maybe you do criticize. Maybe you do find fault. What is your next step? Just as the human body was held together by every supporting joint as it grows strong, so the church grows and becomes stronger as it receives the active support of every single member cooperating according to their ability. And it's built up in love. So here's what I'm going to do. We're going to have a word of prayer. And then we're going to have everybody stand. And then I want you to bring your piece of the puzzle, what you're passionate about. I want you to bring it right down here and put it on the table. And we're going to go through those. And if you need help figuring out what God's will is for your life, then we'll, we'll help you do that. And while you're doing that, those who are going to be baptized are going to go back and change and meet right over here to my left out in this hallway. Our Father in heaven, as we bow in your presence today, we want to thank you for callings, calling of God, the calling of salvation, the most important one of all, the calling of sanctification to become more like your son, the calling of surrender to give up of ourselves to serve you and to be faithful to you, the calling of service to be involved in ministry. God in heaven, 
Help us to have an army of people here, or maybe I should say a navy of people here, to volunteer, to do their part that you created them to do so that we can labor in unity with the diversity of gifts for the common purpose of walking together hand in hand for the glory of God. So bless us, we pray. Show us what you want us to be and to do. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? As Micah sings, leads us in the invitation or plays, however he's going to do this, would you bring what you're passionate about? Put it right here. If you need to talk with me, I'm here. If you need to talk with my wife, over here. Rachel's over here. Come ahead. Don't wait. Come on right now. down, come ahead and bring it up here. This is great. Love it. From my mother's womb, you have chosen me. Love has called my name. I've been born again into your family. are going to be baptized if they meet over here. Pat, would you get that, the towels ready, please? By all means, if you still have your card to turn in, go ahead and do so. A couple of announcements. If you fill out a Connect card as a first-time guest, or if you're a member giving an offering, the offering box at the back is there for that purpose. I want to announce that we have three um, new leadership team members that are going to be helping us determine the new bylaws, constitution, and the direction of the church in the next year. And uh, I want to mention them, and and we'll actually install them on the 13th. We have uh, Nick Ives, who's going to be coming on board and uh, was part of the pulpit committee, uh, as a matter of fact. And his 
appointment to the leadership team will be dependent upon, uh, pending on his baptism, uh, because he was he figured out he was baptized as a child, like many of us were, and sometimes we figure out we didn't really understand all that we were doing when we got baptized as a child. Sometimes we do, so. Uh, he will be baptized, and uh, that, that membership position is pending that. Nick Bobo is also uh, going to be one of our leadership team members, and his will be uh, pending on the church membership class because for a couple years we didn't have the, the membership class, and uh, or at least for a while there wasn't a membership class, so he didn't have the opportunity to attend, but he's going to. And then Jake Snyder, also up in the sound booth today. We appreciate that, Jake. will come on board uh, to be uh, our uh, new leadership team member, and they will be installed on the 13th. Monday, our, <laughs> I put the abbreviation down here, CC, oh, classical conversations. Okay. I couldn't think of what that was. Uh, classical conversations, 630 Monday night, Wednesday mops at 930 in the morning. And so right after this, uh, Mr. Bobo, if you would organize uh, and deputize a few people, uh, we'll set up tables and chairs for that. And then uh, Thursday, uh, the Lassiter's uh, Bible study is at the Almquist's home at 7 p.m. And that's an open Bible study if you're interested. Um, 7 p.m. If you need directions to uh, the Almquist's home, then uh, check with Mila or check with Marty. Uh, Friday, ladies' Bible study at 9.30. There is child care provided here. Saturday, Grace in Motion at 8.30 in the morning. And you're invited out on the patio. And then be here next Sunday morning for communion. But today... We have, and I'm so excited about this because we baptized, what, just two weeks ago, uh, I think it was, and uh, so we're going to baptize again today. And for those who maybe don't know what we do here, we, we baptize by immersion uh, because we believe it's a symbol and a picture of the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we baptize those who've put their faith and trust in the Lord to begin with. So I'm going to add, uh, ask, first of all, Ed, are you ready? ready? All right. I had a joy and a privilege of getting to know Ed a lot better this week. Ed, walk up here, get in, and watch your head on that thing right there. We're going to see the limits of the height limit here of baptizing. Uh, <laughs> this is a true story. I have a seat there. This is a true story. Uh, Donna, before you ever came to our church, um, Midway, over at the old building, we had an old, old baptistry built out of concrete blocks and, um, in, one, in the junior department. And so it was the first time I was going to baptize there. And I had this six-foot-four or five guy, and I had never baptized in it before. So I, I did what I, my thing, and I put him back down, and I hit his head on one of the concrete blocks. And so underwater, he went, and a big bubble came up, and his eyes got real big. But this is fiberglass, so I'm not going to. You sure you want to do this? All right. My brother Ed is from South Africa, and he gave a tremendous testimony of his salvation, his coming to Christ. The Dutch Reformed Church uh, brought up that way, then a departure from uh, serving the Lord for um, several years, and then a dramatic turnaround coming back to the Lord and uh, we're so thrilled about that. And he figured out uh, that he wanted to follow his Lord and believe his baptism. So, Ed, because if you're – keep the mic down a little bit. Just kind of put it in one position and leave it, and I'll, I'll yell if I need to or soften if I need to. Uh, Ed, because of that profession of faith, and it's my privilege to baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, buried in the likeness of his death and raised again in the likeness of his glorious resurrection.
Thank you, sir. I bet you watch your head. Yeah. Boy, that almost went over. <laughs> okay, I made a little mark there, so now next time I'll know. This is Olivia. Olivia, step right here first. There you go. And then sit right down there. Olivia, how old are you? Eight. Eight years old. And you prayed and asked Jesus to be your Savior. Is that right? Yes. And she began talking to her mom and dad about getting baptized and wanting to be baptized. And I always tell kids, we always talk to them and make sure they understand what sin is, that that's, a, that's against God and it's breaking God's laws and God's rules, and that uh, Jesus came to die on the cross and that he was buried and he rose again after three days and he's alive forevermore. And so, Olivia, you are trusting Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. Is that right? Yes. And you want to live for God from this day forward. And this is the age I was when I got baptized, so I love it when people get baptized when they're eight years old. So, Olivia, because of your faith in Jesus Christ, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of his death, raised again in the likeness of his glorious resurrection. Amen. All right. God bless you. You got a time. All right. Isn't that sweet? You know what? I'd like to see us just... In fact, I'm having a top built for this because I don't want to empty it. I want us, I want us to keep baptizing people who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So um, yeah, I kind of am thinking maybe we'll see about once a month baptisms like on the third week. We do communions on the first week. So if you're thinking about being baptized, not sure if you really knew what you were doing when you when you got baptized originally, or maybe you never were baptized by immersion. Maybe like so many, you were, um, you were sprinkled as a baby, and uh, it's, we're not a, it's no personal attack on anything. We just believe that we ought to do things the best we can the Bible way. So uh, we'd love to baptize you. Give me a call, and we'll talk about it. Let's stand together. We're going to be dismissed in prayer. From the very back, Fitz, would you dismiss us in a word of prayer and give all glory to God for his goodness to us today?